What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Crane, and with me is my co-host, Mike Leone, of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Um, yeah, we're, we're in the thick of the off-season, so it's fun. I think I said this on the last episode, but just diving in between Dynasty and Best Ball, just finished up uh, another Dynasty startup and a live auction one, Pat. So that was Ooh. pretty cool. I haven't really done a live auction. I haven't done a live dynasty startup ever before. So that was. Uh, this was an in-person dynasty. Startup? It was. It was. Wow. And, um, what was the crew? Who was this? Like a, uh, old friends. A Buffalo, or? Western New York type crew. Uh, okay. Mike Shope, one of the local radio sports hosts oh. um, here in Buffalo, kind of organized the thing. That's really so, cool. What was, was that? What was that experience like? It was a fun draft. I had a tough time because adjusting from going from, you know, we, we've talked on the show too about these super flex best ball leagues that we're in that are dynasty. So this is super flex tight end premium, but it's managed. And I think I overvalued the quarterbacks a little bit going into the auction and it threw me off. I ended up spending a little bit on like th- too much on like three quarterbacks. And a lot of teams kind of just went with like two decent ones and some of the prices fell off. Um, you know, I'm good with it. Love yeah, good, I love having a good QB3. But um I I did was able to get build the strong receiver core. A lot of the rookie receivers went for too cheap. I so I got Rashad Bateman for very cheap, Pat. Uh Rondell Moore, Jamar Chase really went went heavy. But it was it was cool to do it in person. I actually made auction values kind of like off your value column. In the the superflex tight end premium rankings, I was able to convert those into like auction dollars. It was like really pretty close to what the market did, with the exception of like the mid high end quarterbacks went for a little bit less, and that that threw me off a little bit. What did you use to make uh, auction values? Someone was actually asking me about how to convert those to auction values. I kind of. There's like a whole formula. If you you know what, if you're in the ETR Discord, hop in and I'll tell you. It's kind of hard to explain verbally. Um, yeah. We might actually add some auction values uh, in the near future, kind of based off that, um, because it it, it it wasn't actually as much work as I thought it would be. But it's it's hard to explain verbally because it's like just a mathematical thing. Yeah, one thing that I struggled with last year. Um, when I did the the slow auction and the slow auction has different um, there's just sort of like a different feel to that whole thing than a live auction, because in a slow auction, you have money that's tied up as other bids are going on. <clears throat> and so you kind of have to realize like what uh, sort of the market is doing based on bids that haven't even finished yet. So it's, I think it's more complicated. It's a little bit harder, but nevertheless, I struggled with, just kind of recalculating my auction prices based on what the room had already spent. And I think given the additional dynamics that I was talking about with, you know, your money being tied up, that was one of the reasons that I really felt like about midway through the auction or even a little bit earlier that I had sort of screwed up plan A, pivoted to plan B and really punted off and accumulated a ton of future draft capital, realizing that I wasn't going to be able to uh, put together a contender with what I had spent so far. So how did you, how did you handle that aspect? I was able to, I built like a spreadsheet with the auction values and then I was able to enter in the actual cost and 
kind of calculate an inflation like in real mm -hmm. time based on the over under what I had projected, which helped, but actually like the, the projected auction values were like pretty close market wise that, nice. um, I didn't have too much trouble. I ended up my goal going in. So this is a league with super flex tight end premium, three receiver, two running back, one tight end. And there's one extra flex. So my goal to go in was to be really strong with two young quarterbacks for the future and then have four really high end receivers. And mm -hmm. I and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes out of the gate went for a ton, like more than I had them projected for. So I thought my values were pretty good. I now I, I ended up getting Kyler as my first QB at under my projection. Then I got Hertz at under my projection. But what happened was the rookie quarterbacks. I felt like the rookies in general went for too cheap. There is a wrinkle in this league. It's called an empire league. There's part of the pot goes to, if someone wins it two years in a row, the league disbands and someone wins like a portion of the pot. So there's like a little more risk in like building long-term, but like, I don't know. I think people overweighted that risk and the rookies went for too cheap. So I ended up getting fields, fields and Jalen hurts for around 30 bucks each. So now I've got, Kyler Fields and Hurts, um, but it, it detracted from what I could do at receivers. I really wanted like four super deep receivers. So uh, I went with Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb, Chase Claypool as my main three, but I was able to really get a lot of the rookie receivers for values. You know, we talked about second round picks being undervalued. That kind of showed itself in this draft where I got you know, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, these guys for like five, six nice. bucks out of a three hundred dollar budget. Wow. wow! I did make a big trade post draft, though. I, I ate a little value just because. Sometimes you just have to be in line with what your league's doing, like mm -hmm. whether you're right or wrong on the valuation. If the league's valuing it a certain way, so I did end up shipping Kyler and Terrace Marshall for Tua and DJ Moore. Um, hmm. I definitely feel like I ate a little value, but now I've got more Lamb, Chase, and then Claypool, Bateman, Rondell Moore. Like I feel like I'm gonna be super strong at receiver for basically, uh, and that that's my goal. And I'm still good at quarterback. I'm just taking on the Hurts risk a little bit more, right? Like he has to be good now. Um, yeah, that scares me actually because I I think Hurts. It's not that I don't think he'll be good. It's that I don't think the Eagles will be good, and they have. Yeah. Potentially a first coming in for the Wentz trade, their own first. So, you know, they they will have some flexibility potentially to move up for a quarterback if they if they don't have a good season. Or if they have well, a bad enough season, maybe they just are there for a quarterback. So Hertz is a little bit scary to me in terms of the floor. Yeah, it's definitely risky. And I, I've got two of like I've got three still. It just I, I didn't need three of that caliber. Yeah. You know, while, while, while Fields and Hurts are playing with their rushing upside, I'm playing them every week, right? So it's like, so I, I don't know. I, I definitely ate a little bit of value there. I see what there, you're saying. You kind of like took Kyler and almost brought in a QB3 with Tua because Hurts is, Hurts is starting and Fields is probably starting unless they do this Andy Dalton BS, which God help us if they do. Yeah, and even then I can start, you know, Tua until Fields starts or right. whatever. Tua, I, um, I kind of like Tua this year. I think Tua's in a, I mean – they built around him. You know, people are mentioning, uh, I was listening to, <laughs> I was listening to a Miami Dolphins uh, podcast and the guy was just talking about how, you know, two has actually been like working out for football instead of rehabbing this off season, 
And given what else they have around him, it's easy to imagine him just looking like a different quarterback with wide receivers that suit his skill set, him coming off, you know, two years now off the injury, having a chance to to actually train for for football, getting in better shape, focusing on mobility. Um, you know, I, he doesn't have the rushing upside of of some of these other huge breakouts that we've seen from quarterbacks in year two and three, but I think we could see still a, a really big improvement from his rookie year. Yeah, I'm I like him as a buy low. And this, you know, every auction you're like, know, know how you could have done it differently after it ended because, but it, it, it would never be the same again. But man, Zach Wilson went for so cheap, but yeah. I, I had already tapped out. And I, and I kicking myself where like I should have planned for that. But like, it's also different. Like we get into our little bubble sometimes with our drafts and we're kind of like a little bit more young rookie focused, but people really, kind of playing i think like lance went for 40 fields went for 33 i got fields and then zach wilson went in like the teens and i was like wow wow i was like man if i had to do it over again i would have just gone like the rookie i would have taken the three rookie quarterbacks for like their their three costs i think i would have just gone gone all rookie yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm really gonna be rooting for Zach Wilson this year. Partly <laughs> partly just like I what I don't understand about Zach Wilson is everyone's kinda I think everyone's in their heads about it, like, oh, you know, he's probably gonna bust or whatever, but he's he's a second pick overall, uh, which we've talked about quite a bit here. But the fact that he's second pick overall when paired with him doing a bunch of cool stuff in like the first four weeks of the year, like he's gonna throw He's going to have some really big plays. He's going to put it up for Denzel Mims 50-50 balls. Like he's going to run around, you know, scramble around and then throw it super deep. Like it's going to be fun to watch Zach Wilson. And I just think people are completely like they just have their heads in the sand on that. Like Zach Wilson is going to be a fun fantasy player to own. You're going to be excited about having this guy and people once they have him aren't going to want to trade him when they see what he can do. Now I don't know, maybe three years from now we feel about him the way we feel about Daniel Jones, but there's gonna be a period where you're gonna feel super psyched to own Zach Wilson. I don't he's not like a boring Mac Jones type of guy, and it's almost like people think he is given how uh cheap he is. Yeah. Um other thing I did in this draft, I think if you're playing in managed leagues, but I, I took Mixon as like an anchor running back. I just thought I got a good value. I wanted one like kind of anchor running back, and then went like pretty much didn't spend anything on on second yeah. running back, you know, just get to figure that. it out. Yeah. I think that's the dominant dynasty strategy for sure. Uh, it's like the dominant strategy in a lot of formats. And actually the, what we wanted to talk about here for this episode was your latest best ball article, which kind of gets into that strategy. The, the one anchor running back strategy. It also gets into true zero running back. Um, and it, it also discusses, pivots away from what you tell me, but might be the dominant strategy in best ball, hyper fragile, the strategy you outlined last year. I did want to say before we jump into that topic, which will be the rest of the show. uh, If you're listening to this, uh, you probably already are aware, but uh, I have taken a a, a full-time role with NBC Sports Edge. Um, So I will be starting there uh, June 7th officially. And that'll mean that I will not be doing Establish the Edge anymore, uh, sadly. Uh, Although we will be doing one final episode next week. So 
Uh, this will not be the last episode of the show. It's been a blast doing the show. I'm sorry to, to not be doing the show anymore and have a chance to pick Mike's brains on, on all this, all these topics. But, uh, but yeah, it was a pleasure doing it. And, uh, uh, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got to do this, Mike. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy too. I feel like I've learned so much. And on the farewell episode, the thing I want to do is like, kind of go over like the things we feel like we, we benefited most from mm-hmm. our conversations the past year or so. Uh, I, I know I definitely have learned a lot. So I'm looking forward to that. I just want to give you a big public congratulations. The fantasy space is definitely better for it, for you having this opportunity to be full-time in this space. I know you're going to do great stuff. So make sure you guys continue to support Pat. Uh, we'll have more details on what will happen with the Establish the Edge podcast moving forward. Uh, might hit up some of those on the next week's episode as we figure those out. But I'll be keeping it going. But more importantly, congrats to Pat. And make sure you guys continue to follow his great work. Thanks, Mike. Let's uh, let's dive into this article that you wrote. Uh, so this, I kind of teed you up already. But just to, just to briefly say, I mean, you... Last year, you wrote, I think, pretty convincingly about why zero running back was maybe not a great strategy in best ball and why hyper-fragile was kind of the way to go. Uh, just uh, can you summarize like your thoughts last year and how they've changed it all going into this year? Yeah, so last year, I was pretty big on going hyper-fragile. And I, I think it's Mike Beers is the guy whose name sticks in my head as the first person that really kind of tried this strategy. Mm-hmm. But... I sort of, you know how like sometimes you independently discover something that someone's already discovered. Like that was sort of my process last year where I did some of these simulated teams for trying to figure out, figure out FFPC roster construction. And I was really surprised at how some of the hyper fragile running back teams, which is take running backs early, but don't take a lot of them, like how successful they were and how you know, even on the floor side, they weren't even as risky as people I think tend to seem. So I wrote about trying this strategy in the underdog best ball mania tournament, taking three or four running backs early. And those are the only running backs that you take in your draft. And I thought it was better than zero RB. I was very worried about zero RB for a few reasons. One week, obviously, once you get into the tournament, you want a monster team, but to get there, you know, week one counts the same as week 13. Uh, or if you're in a regular best ball league, week one counts the same as week 16 or now week 17. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times in managed leagues, your RB works because you have a monster team by the end and you've got some time to figure it out. Best ball, you can't be taking zeros early on in the year. So some of these guys that are like frauds and managed are like okay plays in, in best ball because they give you just usable production from week one. And then, you know, you don't have the waiver wire to patch things up. So some of the guys that benefited most um, in terms of the chaos of an NFL season last year, like James Robinson, Mike Davis, these guys weren't even drafted that much, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a good example of why sometimes it's difficult. So I I was worried about zero RB uh, because of that. I think as we got closer to this season, just talking with you, you had done the hyper fragile strategy, but you were really big on Ronald Jones last year. So you kind of tweaked it to where you took like two running backs early and then you still got like Rojo like a few rounds later. The hyper Rojo strategy. The hyper Rojo strategy. A year later though, Pat, that that is 
you were onto something, whether you did it because you were a genius or just because you absolutely loved Rojo, you were, I <laughs> think, correct. Because what we've seen, and we knew this, but, and Jack Miller wrote a really good article about this on Establish the Run that you can check out. But wide receivers in round three through six are just so, so plus EV to draft. Yeah. You know, and if you want a lot of them, you got to start drafting them in round three, you know, because you want four of them. So even though there's still going to be good ones in five and six, if you want to pile them up, even though you can make up for quality with quantity a little bit in best ball, you still want some of those guys. And then if you're mixing in like an elite tight end or an elite quarterback, you know, if you've done three or four running backs out of the gate, you've probably went too far in terms of not having quality at receivers. So the hyper fragile strategy now I think is take two running backs early and then, you know, get two later, like get one mid tier running back, take a Tony Pollard flyer. You know, some of these guys that we like for their huge anti-fragile upside later in the draft, you can still work that into a hyper fragile strategy. So I think that's the dominant strategy, but the zero RB win rates were surprisingly very good last year. So I do think it can work. I'm more on that than I was last year. The actually the the strategies aren't tried a lot, but the top two win rates last year in best ball mania for league win rates, just based on estimated points, were zero running backs early in six total and zero running backs early in seven total. Those were the top two win rates. So clearly it works. I think sharp people are doing that. So that like inflates those rates a little bit, but they're huge, huge upside. And again, uh, same thing with hyper fragile, the floor isn't as bad as you would think like the top three rates on those teams were really good. I think you just have to be cognizant of, and this is also something you hit on, but how you're building that running back group later on of like mixing kind of like archetypes and not just taking six handcuffs. Um, yeah. Cause that's not going to get it done. Yeah, but I mean, we saw last year with like Malcolm Brown and Naheem Hines and these guys like mixing in these really nice weeks right right out of the gate with, you know, some touchdowns, some receptions. And yeah. if you have some of those guys who they're most weeks aren't going to do much for you, but they'll kind of spike for you. Um, and then you also have guys that are going to potentially emerge throughout the season. Um, or you've got guys like you know, like a Ronald Jones, kind of a a guy no one's excited about, but can spike for you with touchdowns in this half PPR format. Uh, Absolutely, and another article Jack Miller is working on for us. It's called the fallacy of upside to an extent. And I know, especially in managed leagues, there's a temptation to like only care about upside after a certain point in drafts. But in best ball, like just having usable weeks is really undervalued, in my opinion. And part of Jack's thesis for this fallacy of upside is if you look at running backs that post RB1 seasons, like outside of the top six or seven rounds, like it's it's a very low amount. You know, we talk about all this anti-fragility and the way you can benefit from cast, but you're generally not hitting these massive home runs. Like that's not necessarily why you're winning, but you're getting but what you have is an incredibly strong roster elsewhere. You're just killing people elsewhere and you're getting usable weeks out of your running backs and other people's running back situations start to deteriorate throughout the season. So even right. if you don't have these huge home runs, you're okay. And that's why I think, you know, guys like Rojo undervalued round nine, right? Like usable yep. weeks going to get out of road. Look at Rojo's, 
you would take Rojo's season last year in a heartbeat this year. Yeah. You know, kind of the same setup. It's just Leonard Fournette had a good playoffs. There are guys at the end of drafts like Tevin Coleman who just seem super boring, but ambiguous backfield route to touches, you know? Yep. So, and at Hines again, right? Like one guy He's got a roll. Hines is, that's your pass catcher, right? So I think like, I kind of broke it up as like, Rojo's your two down back that has value. So you get these guys that have touchdown equity on good teams that can rush. Those guys have value. You have your upside swings on your handcuffs, you know, your Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison types. You've got your kind of ambiguous backfields, which is like the Jets, the Bills, those type of things. You've got your pure pass catchers. You know, Tariq Cohen's free. I haven't really drafted him because I think Damian Williams might have more role than people think, but he's free. You know, uh, Naheem Hines is in there. McKissick's still super cheap, even though I think like we're not going to get what he got last year, but he's not being valued anywhere near what he did last year. So right. I did a team in the article where my first running back was Travis Etienne in round six, where he really fell. Then I took Mostert, which is like the – I took Mostert and Rojo, who are kind of similar to me in the sense that it's – they're not going to get a huge workload, but they could be very efficient and score touchdowns on teams that could be very good. Then A.J. Dillon, that's your handcuff kind of swing. But like even he has like some role. You know, they don't have Jamal Yeah, I Williams think he'll be there. involved, and he, he has touchdown spike week upside. He's almost – he's like a, a similar play to Hines really. Yeah. You know, he's just, just, he's just a grinder instead of a pass catcher. Yeah. Like there's more of a floor there than you think. Then I took Devin Singletary very late, which is kind of like, okay, I, I don't think there's any way the Bills backs don't score more fantasy points this year than they did last year, uh, even though they might not have huge upside. And it, it's ambiguous backfield. And then I took a swing on Jarek McKinnon in the last round. I got sniped on Tevin Coleman. Um that one I don't know about. Well, that could be a complete zero, but that sometimes happens. But you're mixing and matching, and how you like. I got ATN in this build at a really good price. I might have built differently if I went, you know, even deeper without having drafted a running back. Like I feel like he could kind of be like a poor man's anchor running back strategy to an extent. Yeah, but I we'll agree, I, and I feel like his ADP is moving up a bit. Um. And to your point about the upside, I'm working on an article now just uh, looking at rookie wide receivers. Um, really just all – I'm starting with rookies, but I'm going to go to second and third years as well. But seeing some of the win rates on these rookie wide receivers in best ball, and I was looking at FFPC's um, best ball, which goes deeper. So you you can really have these flyers, like true flyers, you know, wide receiver 108 and stuff uh, in ADP. But you see these guys later on, like Tyler Johnson, uh, Hunter Renfro, Kiki QT, Ante Pettis. Like these guys were not really players that were all that excited to have. And then, you know, you look at like Renfro and Pettis and Antonio Callaway, all of these guys showed up as top 30 in best ball win rate as rookies. Keyshawn Johnson is another one. And it's just like, they just did some stuff. That's all they did. They just had a few weeks. Like they don't they weren't they weren't that great. They weren't guys we even wanted going forward past that season. They just 
got on the field and did some stuff. And it just is a reminder of kind of how low the bar gets as you move deep into these drafts. Absolutely. And again, the big difference between best ball managers, like the usability is just important, you know? Uh, and that's why, you know, some of the slot guys were, you know, we're a little bit higher on than the market sometimes, but you know, Russell Gage, Cole Beasley, yeah. Jamison Crowder from last year. I don't know what will happen with him this year, but like these guys churn out usable weeks. Like it's a big deal in best ball and managed. It might not, you might not be starting these guys. They might not be winning leagues. You don't have huge, huge upside, but really just, you know, just grinding points, man. Like every spot, every week is giving you 10 plus points is like a really big deal in best ball. Um, yeah. Well, so I wanted to ask you about, the one anchor running back strategy that you know you, you talked about for how you built your dynasty league that's my preferred way to build my dynasty teams i really like if you have the right draft slot i love building my high stakes teams that way um in best ball i feel like this year really sets up well for that strategy because you know if you like cam Akers, if you like joe mixon you could basically do it from any draft slot uh, so you don't have to go the full zero running back style. Um, although, as you're saying, you know, you can do that. And especially in the top heavy tournaments, it might be a big edge if if it's, uh, you know, a strategy that a lot of people are not taking. Justin Herzig was talking about how he was he was mentioning that the hyper fragile strategy seems to have really taken root here in in the best ball streets. So, you know, in your, in the, your underdog best ball mania finding a pivot is going to be pretty key. That pivot could be zero running back. could also be the anchor running back. could also be the, the hyper Rojo strategy we, we outlined earlier. Um, <laughs> I'm really hoping that sticks. Uh, the strategy, the one running back strategy, I, I'm in currently in a underdog best ball mania slow draft. I took Cam Akers with pick 11, and then I went A.J. Brown, Amari Cooper, D.J. Moore, T. Higgins, Debo Samuel, LaVisca Chenault, and Mark Andrews. So I've not gotten a premium quarterback. I could have taken Dak Prescott, I believe, over T. Higgins, which I kind of regretted not doing after the fact. But I'll probably be okay at quarterback. Um, but I need to obviously address running back, just have the one running back entering round nine now. I'm four picks away. And Ronald Jones, James Conner, Zach Moss, A.J. Dillon, all still on the board. So I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to feel pretty good about my running back two, I'll probably need to grab two running backs here and then maybe just one more to close it out. Or would you recommend going five? And in general, what do you think of that type of build? Yeah, I'd probably go five in that build. I didn't specifically write about that one because it splits the difference a little bit, but it is interesting. I think it's a good strategy. Um What I think I've learned is you really kind of want to bet on things to go right at running back, right? Like you, you just want to build it around whoever you're drafting, especially up top, performing well. And we still want to win the flex with receivers. So you you don't need it to go crazy at running back. Like essentially what you're trying to do is like, how am I covering two running back scores every week? Yeah. And, uh, and Cam Akers is going to basically be my running back score every single week because I'm betting on him. He's my first round pick. He's going to smash this year. I know that. So it's really just I now need to fill one more running back spot uh, with What's, the rest of my picks, right? Yeah. So I think you could do four or five. I do think 
and I mentioned this in the article, like making hyper fragile builds even more fragile. Like that's kind of like do anchor running back and still only take four. I could see five depending on the types you get. What's nice with the anchor running back strategy is it does let you take some of the like really high upside, like handcuff swings, like a Tony mm -hmm. Pollard type. Like I know he might have some usable weeks, but he also, you know, might be on like a, might not at all. Um, but you can take those because your other running backs are really only covering one spot because your anchor running back, you're using that score every week. Like that's how you maximize the value of an early running back pick is by literally using that score every week. Even if it's not the most amazing score, it's filling a spot every single week. Um, and I, I do think, yeah, you get some more flexibility then. And then you get the nice mix at wide receiver where you've got quality and quantity. You know, and these might start to get it away from what I said about how the hyper fragile builds have a higher floor than you think we might be getting away from that a little bit where we're starting to sacrifice floor, but I think our ceiling is expanding a good mm -hmm. bit. And what was interesting when I looked at the win rates, one, I was pumped to see of the, of the top six win rate structures, the top two I mentioned were zero RB. The next three Pat were hyper fragile. <laughs> nice. It was, you know, four total, four total, four total. Um, and every combination of four total running backs with taking at least one in the first five rounds had a win rate above expectation, which is pretty incredible. Um, so the hyperfragile clearly worked and something we hit on last year, it worked in a year where maybe it didn't even fall perfect for it, you know, with McCaffrey, Barkley. I mean, sometimes the running back injuries happen because that's like part of the philosophy, but it, it didn't feel like a great year for it and it worked, but getting away from that. The strategy with one early and four total had the highest win rate of the hyper fragiles and the highest by far top 1% rate. It wasn't a huge sample. Mm -hmm. Only 142 teams did that. But I think five of the 142 teams had a top 1% team, which on average you would have only expected like one and a half. So it was well, it was three and a half times what you would expect on average. And I think even though it's a small sample, that's what you can expect with one early and four total is you've got a chance at an insanely high ceiling team, but you do start to sacrifice the floor a little bit. Um, so I think that's perfect in best ball mania tournament, um, not so much in a regular league. Yeah, I think that's an interesting discussion of like what could because if we're going to be drafting correctly for best ball mania, it cannot be the same strategy that we would take in a 12 person league. I mean, that's just, you know, it'd be like putting your cash lineup in a GPP to an extent. Right. So what, what the, are the differences? I would give on that is the edge is getting to the tournament. Now I think it's worth taking some chances on like one early four total where you've expanded your ceiling. Right. Mm -hmm. And also only two of the top 12 are advancing. So you do need a little bit more ceiling. But you know, when you're when you're playing a 12 team league, you're trying to win the 12 team league in best ball, you know, like that that's that your goal. I guess I'm just saying your goal number one is to win your 12 team league. Um and, so, and a right. lot of those strategies will overlap with a regular. A lot strategy. yeah, agreed. I'm not saying you need to throw everything out, but there have to be some differences in terms mm -hmm. of like what you know, like sacrificing sacrificing a little floor to raise your ceiling seems like sort of an obvious pivot to make 
yeah. in best ball mania, particularly if the field has now gone heavy towards the higher floor strategy, which is hyper fragile. Yeah, I probably got nitpicky there because I hear people all the time saying, well, hyper fragile is good for tournaments, but not for regular leagues. And I disagree with that so much. Like hyper fragile yeah. is what you should be playing almost uh, by default, like even in a regular league. Um, but the difference is how many are you taking early, um, which is right. what you're saying is like, if we do the modified zero RB combined <laughs> yeah. with hyper fragile, we've combined it. I also, I said this earlier, we got a poor man's anchor RB. I like that one too. Let's get, let's, we want to talk poor about man's really anchor. Fragile. Is that the Travis ETN? That's the Travis ETN build, the poor man's anchor RB. Imagine your upside if your sixth round running back is your anchor running back, like yeah. the things you can do. And that's like just trying where I'm trying to get my mind moving because as Herzig said, a lot of teams, at least early, are doing the four RB builds and it's like, hmm. but that opens up, right? Some of these values late, like no one's drafting running backs late. So there's got to be some values for you there, you would think, right? I mean, if, yeah, if everyone yeah. stops at four. If everyone stops at four and they're all doing them early, then, and you're able to get in there and get your one guy, and then you can, you know, take, maybe you're also going hyper fragile by just taking four total, but your picks are coming like nine, 10, 11, you know, instead in those early rounds, that seems pretty nice because yeah, the, the running backs in nine, 10, 11 are going to, there's going to be values there, but they're good. They're going to fall past ADP if you're in that type of room where the, the ADPs are just going to kind of reflect that if everyone overall sort of drafting that way. The other thing that I like about the one elite running back strategy, the anchor running back strategy um, or the true running, the, the true zero running back strategy also works just as well for this is you can get an elite tight end. And so if you're starting running back tight end and then you're able to pound wide receivers rounds three through six, as Jack has outlined, you can also, if you want, mix in uh, a quarterback there. So you're really set up well at basically every position. And then you can come back, fill in your running backs, um, stop at four. You can still use the volume of the of the uh, additional roster spots to get those extra wide receiver scores, those extra wide, wide receiver spike weeks, as you've talked about with Hyper Fragile. You can just go to tight ends, have that extra roster spot. You can just go to quarterbacks. If you get the quarterback, you know, in round six or seven. So that strategy, I mean, you probably need a uh, like a early first round pick. The way the ADPs are falling to pull that off, or you can take Travis Kelsey in the first round, which I'm not sure I'm into. But um, but yeah, I think that's that's a nice getting that early round tight end is really nice in these leagues. It's really hard too when I'm doing the rankings of figuring out how to slot in the tight ends because I feel like even when I'm drafting, even though I've moved up the tight ends in our best ball rankings relative to our managed rankings, like I'm still like, I want that. I want that elite tight end to, to have, to only have to use two tight ends and to have a guy that's putting up pretty good scores every week. Like th there's just so many bad tight ends that like, there's so many, if you, Hawkinson from last year, right? was like T5, didn't have an amazing year. And he's got this weird value breakdown where I feel like from some perspective, he's overvalued because he was T5, but his scores weren't really that good. But then from another perspective, 
he was T five and you could count on his scores every week, even though they weren't that great. Like structurally, that was a big deal. Um, and they that's also where gutted I think- their wide receiver core. I'm starting to get a little excited about Hawkinson just in terms of volume. Like we know he's a, he's a receiving tight end. We know that he can do that. He's been good at it. And they got rid of Galladay. They got rid of Jones. Obviously they got rid of Stafford too. And they, have a literal caveman coaching them, but you know, they, they have to throw it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I like him this year for sure. Um, I was just thinking like, it's more like just interesting, like how you, what prism you view his 2020 season through, you know, cause yeah. it's like, and that's where I think in best, but like, that's why I've taken some chances on pits at like five, six. Um, yep. Like I, I really, if I draft early, I like to get Kittle or Waller at the two, three turn. If I draft late, I like to get Andrews, Pitts, Hawkinson at the five, six turn. If I can, they're a little bit rich prices. Sometimes they can fall even further, but structurally it's huge. It's hard because you're in those wide receiver rounds, right? So it's like, so it's, it's some give and take. But usually it's that last receiver spot. You know, I've already taken hopefully a couple of receivers in three, four, and five that lets you get that tight end in at the five, six turn. It's just one so thing. I, yeah, I, I want to ask you about you know if you're drafting on the one, two turn or in that general vicinity, it's like you're past Kelsey, but you're generally not taking Ant, uh, Waller or or Kittle yet. Those guys are going at like the the two three turn, as you said. But it just strikes me as like a bad setup for drafters on kind of the the back half of the board because if you're at you know the one hundred one, you have the chance to get McCaffrey and then pair him with a Waller Kittle, and then just hammer wide receiver. I mean, what an advantage! So, it's, dude, that first pick is just when you can go McCaffrey Kittle. Metcalf, right? Like <laughs> that's un- unreal. So, I guess this is more of a strategy of a twelve-team league as opposed to best ball mania. Uh, maybe I don't know. I'm kind of thinking out loud because you're sort of sacrificing ADP. But part of me is like, no, like you you can't have you can't have Kittle and pair him with McCaffrey. Like if I'm at the, the pick six, like why not reach for the tight end there and not let the guy who's, you know, one of those, there's there's two of those tight ends. So one of those guys with an elite running back that hits is probably also going to have an elite tight end, assuming, you know, Killer, Kittle, and Waddle, <laughs> Kittle and Waller also hit. So, you know, you're kind of depriving uh, that guy of that and, and taking that edge for yourself. Yeah, that's where I'm saying, like, as much as I boosted the tight ends, those early tight ends I want to take a little bit earlier. And in best ball... You know, the drop off from, you know, AJ Brown, middle of round two, to the receivers you're going to get in three and four, it's not as impactful because of the best ball scoring. You know, it obviously mm-hmm. matters. But yeah, I, I, when I look at just how big of a deal it is to draft structurally in best ball, I'm with you. I kind of like reaching on that tight end there. And my friend pointed this out to me too, which is tough now with more people doing hyper fragile teams. If you're at the back end of the draft, it's a little bit tough to build a hyper fragile team and essentially say like, I have the same structure as the guys who have. Yeah. You have the worst version of their team. You have the same structure and you got to pick 
the second they got first choice of all the four running backs they started the their team with you know uh not literally because it's snakes He's, but it's like you'd much rather have the the build hyper fragile build with the the top running back i think it's where it's hard for me because like i like mixon and eckler but i haven't like i haven't done a mixon eckler start. like i've done either zero rb or kind of anchor rb for the most part from that one two turn these leagues should be three round reversal but it'll never gain traction in a more casual setting i know nffc does that but that right yeah. they should be yeah they should. that's the way it should be for sure because the the i mean you just look at best ball win rates and any best ball win rate discussion you have to adjust for draft slot because the draft slot it's just an advantage to have the earlier picks it just is and I think even with third round reversal, that doesn't even counteract that completely. It's just sort of a nice to have if you're drafting at the back end of the draft. Yeah, you at least force like the McCaffrey owner. You know, do I take Kittle or an elite receiver? You know, you right. at least force them into, or you know, if they're doing hyper fragile, right? Do I take Antonio Gibson with McCaffrey or do I take Kittle? I mean, what you can yeah. go McCaffrey, I guess Gibson's been moved up like a decent bit, but, but you, I, I think I have a team that's, I don't, I, I did try to, I did this last year. I'm doing less of it this year because as I mentioned, I don't want to invest as many picks in early running backs, but I'm trying to find the team I have where last year I had a lot of success with three running backs out of the gate, but only three, like going even that extreme. I know the team I had last year that made it the furthest was a Kamara, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor team. This is the team I have this year. It's a Saquon Barkley, Antonio Gibson, and then my only share of J.K. Dobbins. And like I, mm-hmm. you know, they, I they have different bye weeks, and I'm just stopping. And it bought me, you know, you can still get, you could get up to 11 receivers if you wanted to. I did 10 receivers and three quarterbacks, just the way it kind of fell to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll have a couple like of that. those teams. I like that. I mean, you like you said, you need Saquon's score like every week. J.K. Dobbins, I mean, he's going to have some awesome spike weeks. You know, he's he's a guy that uh, neither one of us are really on, uh, especially for managed. I, I'm not into him and managed at all. Yeah, but same, uh, same. Yeah, but I think I I really like Gibson. And then Dobbins is like, there's no doubt that he's going to get a lot of playing time. It's just that he's not going to get the full workload. He's not going to get the receiving. So I, I like that a lot as a build. Um, I have this awesome Matt Ryan, Julio Jones stack on this team. Let's see. Yeah, hopefully that's <laughs> got Kyle, Pitts, Kyle Pitts is on this team. Oh, I did, this is totally off ta- tangent, but the bye week six is a real killer. Drafting some of these teams before the bye mm. weeks. Oh, we God. get. Tr- Trey Lance, Matt Ryan, Zach Wilson. Lance and Zach Wilson being lined up is cruel, Pat. That is cruel. And I actually wanted to talk to you about that specifically, that, you know, the rookie quarterbacks this year, because if you're kind of, you know, all of these kind of win rates and, you know, historical analyses that we can do, they're going to be very, very driven by the specific players that year, obviously. And, you know, I think one one thing that sort of jumps out to me about this year is that uh, I would say one of the things is that I think the wide receiver class is probably a bit I'm a little bit higher on than I think some people are. So I'm probably going to be sprinkling in some of these rookie class, some of these rookie wide receivers a little bit more. 
But I don't know. I, I was actually looking at the ADP. That it's not like guys just aren't getting drafted. So I don't know if that's going to be a huge edge. But the quarterbacks, I think this is a special quarterback class. And to be able to get these quarterbacks still pretty cheap should maybe change up what we're doing a little bit um, where, you know, we've talked before best ball season really got going. And, you know, we were talking even with best ball and managed leagues about what quarterback ADP might look like. And if quarterback ADP might get a little out of control this year, because we know we need that rushing upside, but with Lance, especially you have access to a true rushing quarterback They could have a really nice year right out of the gate. He's not that expensive. And then you get Zach Wilson. who's We're going to get 17 games out of Zach Wilson as long as he's healthy. Uh, He's an immediate starter. And I already talked about how I think he's going to be fun. I think he's a great best ball pick. And then Justin Fields is being held down by the bare stupidity of acting like they can play Andy Dalton. But we saw Andy Dalton last year. We know he's got nothing left. The idea that they're going to somehow be a playoff team with Andy Dalton and then in 2022, move to Fields while Pace and, and Griggs still have uh, Grigson still have their job. Then no, that's not going to happen. Um, wait, I think I just said Pace and Grigson, which is an insult to Pace because Grigson's such a terrible GM. <laughs> but uh, 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 Nagy, Nagy, Pace and Nagy is what I meant. Okay, Grigson's yeah. Grigson's the Colts guy, right? Is Grigson the no? Then who am I? So Grigson, sorry, to Grigson. I owe Grigson an apology. Well, then. Grigson who is the, the apology? I think right. Grigson. Who is the who is the Colts guy before Grigson? Oh wait, okay. Maybe I screwed. I think I screwed this up. No, Grig, Grigson isn't the Colts guy. I, Grigson the was the Colts, Colts guy. guy. He was. Yeah. yeah okay. Colts. Okay. He was so so no You're apologies right. due to anyone. Grigson <laughs> and Case are equally terrible. <laughs> and if you think you're starting. Andy Dalton and making the playoffs this year, and then you can turn to fields in 2022 and haven't gotten yourself fired. It's not happening. So I think by week two or three, Justin Fields is starting uh, this Dalton thing. I, I think they're dumb enough to try it, but it's just not going to happen. It's just, it's, it's impossible. We saw Andy Dalton. It, it can't work. So to get fields, to get Lance, to get Wilson all in the mix later on, it's really exciting. And I think it unlocks things at quarterback. And part of me wonders if, you know, we we want two tight ends, you know, and and stop. And we, you know, if you're in the back half of the draft, you don't really have access without really reaching for a Kelsey who's probably already gone, a Waller or a Kittle. So it's kind of nice to be able to get two of those tight ends before things fall off a cliff and then stop. And you want to hammer wide receiver. You're probably going one anchor running back. You need picks like 9 10 11 probably to fill out running back so where are you taking quarterback and i'm wondering with some of those builds if you just go double rookie you know and you just play for the ceiling with those guys what, what do you think about something like that yeah i will i have a lot of exposure to the rookie quarterback this is nine completed drafts i have 22 percent zach wilson 22 percent trey lance 22 percent justin fields so you add those up six of my nine teams have a rookie quarter or oh, I, and I have one Trevor Lawrence. So like seven of my nine teams have a rookie quarterback. I don't know how often they're paired together. I don't think a ton because generally I'm taking one a little bit earlier, but it really is a little bit of a cheat code where we weren't like, you're just getting more upside from these picks than you generally do. Like they're going around Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford. Now I do feel like early on since ETR early on has had more content. 
that we've <laughs> kind of driven the ADP on these guys a little bit. Um, I know Lance's has really skyrocketed. He's now going as yeah. QB 15, but that's still like, like Lance is easy. like could easily be a top 10 quarterback per game. You know, yeah, I mean, he's still his QB 17. Like there's still opportunities there. Uh, Zach Wilson's going his QB 25. Like, yeah, so I, I love drafting them as far as drafting them together. I'm usually on a three QB build at that point, but I'm okay with a three QB build this year where, because you can draft three QBs after round 10 and still get a lot of upside because you can have two of these guys, right? Yeah. So you can take a Lance, Zach Wilson, even on the same bye week and like a pocket passer that maybe doesn't have a ton of upside, but that you can stack with. Well, like you that, can get, you can get Tannehill. You can get, I mean, his ADP is 123. You can get Tua who's at 142 and a half, you know, like, those guys have a little bit of mobility. They're not yeah. like statues. So, yeah. I, so you think, and this is probably prudent to go three three quarterback if you're going double rookie. But, I mean, part of me does just want to say, you go Trevor Lawrence, you go Zach Wilson, and you call it a day. Because both those guys have enough mobility to give you some upside, and they're going to start the entire season. Yeah, if you get Lawrence, you can do two. I think I actually think my Lawrence team is that. I think I, was, I had a really nice – Lawrence stack with a with a Lance stack because Lawrence is starting from day one. And I guess with Wilson you could too, but you can't pair him with Lance because they have the same bye week if you're just going right. to. It is such so a bummer. You, as long as you're not taking a zero, I think you could take two of these guys. And then maybe you have suboptimal scores a couple weeks while you're waiting for like the other rookie to get the job. Um, but it's it's gonna happen by like week five. I mean, it's just not gonna be that long. Like it, it'd be really shocking to me if these if Lance and Fields weren't up there by week five, they're truly on the hot seat uh, in, in Chicago. Like they could be fired mid season. I, I don't understand why, you know, they're just kidding themselves. If they don't think Fields is starting from the get go. And if they don't prepare for Fields to start from the get go, and then he comes in and looks unprepared. I mean, God, you, you got it. You just got to start over there. The thing I'm trying to steer away from is I built a lot of, backdoor stacks last year that felt fun at the time and then just ended up being complete wastes of time and i don't know if i just have this bias over my haskins steven sims stacks and stuff like that from last year that like but i kind of feel like because we can structurally attack the other positions a little differently like i want two quarterbacks to have upside and kind of be done with it or i want rookie quarterbacks if i'm doing a three qb build i have like like there's Darnold Wentz stacks that I think are okay and like actually have upside. Um, I got one Jameis one super late just in case, but I'm not like I would relied on those too much last year where I was kind of like really good quarterback and a really bad quarterback. Yeah, I, I'm okay having like so most of my teams have my most common structure is an elite quarterback in the. Dak, Herbert, Allen, Kyler range mm-hmm. with a rookie quarterback. You know, the, the, that's my yeah. most common structure, I at like least that. from the, the back. Like if I can do it at the five, six turn, like that's kind of, if I can get that quarterback in the sixth round and the receivers have dropped off. And other than that, then I'm looking at kind of higher end stacks in my opinion, where I can go Brady, 
stack. Like he's very stackable, no rushing upside. Matt Ryan, pretty stackable, no rushing upside. Even if you take Julio out of it, he's pretty stackable. Yo, Burrow, he's going too early, I think, in a vacuum. But if you've got the stack pieces ahead of time, you can take him in an 8-9. And you can still stop it, too, with the rookie quarterback. And the rookie quarterback gives you upside with it. So the rookie quarterbacks are pretty integral to my strategy this year so far. Awesome. That's that's awesome to hear because that's the thing that really has jumped out to me as I'm kind of getting into best ball uh, for real. Like I've been just doing all my dynasty drafts and um, rookie drafts. So really just starting to get into it. And uh, I don't know, one thing that, you know, I really liked about reading your article on the running backs and, you know, talking to you about the, the rookie quarterbacks and stuff. It's just like, I think it's important to build structurally clearly, but part of it is like, I just have an affinity for some of these structures way more than some of the others. And I just, mm. I just do not enjoy building a hyper fragile team where you take like four running backs in the first six rounds like that just is something that it just hurts it just hurts it's yeah. not fun so kind of seeing in your article like oh there's other paths like the hyper fragile builds were very successful and you know you certainly can build that way but the build you know hyper fragile build where you take one early and then you get your other three later on um, or you take two and then get your other two later on the hyper rojo strategy or you get uh or you just go full zero running back like just that you know you have those in your back pocket i think makes drafting more fun and you can pivot based on what the room is doing which i think is going to be very important and you talked about in your stacking article i guess we can kind of close things out with this like you know it surprised me a little bit how uh how it hurt you so much to reach even when you know you were doing it to complete stacks and how with a lot of the the high value picks you still want to be very price sensitive when building stacks um and you know that stacking is definitely a very effective weapon to be using but the fact that you need to factor in price that much with stacking i think indicates that you also should be sort of factoring in price when you're figuring out the structure to use, like if the room is sort of handing you particular structure and you have multiple ways that you can build comfortably, you're going to ultimately end up with better, uh, better best ball portfolio. Yeah. I think being humble with your own opinions and taking what the room gives you both in terms of structure and ADP value makes a lot of sense. I mentioned that Dobbins team I built, you know, I was able to, I, I, I have no, that's my only Dobbins team, but I got a third round Dobbins and I was like, I can go three out of the gate and switch it up and be done. Right. Like it, it gives you like an out to try some things when you can get guys that really good ADP values. And if you look at the teams I'm drafting, man, I'm rarely reaching on ADP. There are guys I like better than ADP, but I'm still generally trying to get those guys at ADP or like close to it, you know? And then the guys I don't like, I'll only take if the ADP falls. I think I like tweet out, like I got Devonta Smith on one team at pick one Oh two His ADP is 81. Like, yeah. And, and yeah. structurally he fits. Ironically, that's my Dobbins team. This must be my hedge team, but like structurally <laughs> he fit, like I'm doing a 10 wide receiver build. And like, I got this boomer bust guy. Like he kind of fits that, that structure yeah. where I'm just drafting a ton of receivers. I don't need his volume to be insane. Like at that point I'll, I'll take like his big play upside. So I think ADP, I think 
yeah, and we bake it into our rankings a little bit just to be clear so people know that. Because um, you're trying to build, you know, dominant teams. And it's a combination of one, you know, wisdom of the crowd. So, like, we want to at least temper our stuff to understand the market has a different opinion and markets are somewhat efficient. So, we want to, like, we don't want that to be the overriding factor, but we want a little bit of that baked in. Mm -hmm. But two, if you look at, and Her, Justin Herzig did a pod and he was talking about a six man draft, but it was a really good story. Like exemplify this. He was talking about how you know, he had Travis Kelsey in a six man draft, you know, a couple years ago as the best pick as the third pick overall, right? By a little bit, he had the tight end edge that much in that six man format that he was the best pick, but he would not take Kelsey there because he would sacrifice a little bit of value, take number four on his list that was like just projected a little bit worse. If he gets Kelsey in round two, that's a huge value win. Yeah. You know, so he sacrifices a little bit of value to gamble that he can get the huge value. You right. know, and, and that's kind of what you're doing when you're playing the ADP game a little bit too, is like you're gambling, like you're trying to build these dominant teams and you're not going to do that if you're always reaching for your guy. Right. Right, because you're never allowing yourself to to get the ADP faller if you're scooping that guy ahead of ADP. Yeah, and if you if you're right on that guy and you get him at ADP, that's a huge win. You know, you don't yeah. have to try and get him at a huge discount, but if you're getting him where you think he's valued, by definition, that's kind of like a break even selection. You know, if you're getting him where you think he should be taken, like that's just like break even you know you want to profit right right yeah you're you're sort of anytime you can get values by the market then you're kind of reducing your bar for right a little bit yeah it's like and i know sometimes people don't like projections because but like i when i think of like projections and ranks i think they like kind of represent bet strength you know, like I think of it more like that, like not like I'm drafting this amount of points, but like mm -hmm. this amount of points represents this strength of a bet kind of. And you want to alter it for like distribution cases and like roles, like upside cases. But it's kind of like strength of bet. And if like at the end of 18 rounds, your total bet strength is really good. Like good things hopefully happen. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, let's uh, leave it there. And uh, we will be back next week for a final episode, at least for my contribution to the show. But we will have news about what the future of the show is going to look like, which uh, will be continuing on. So look forward to, uh, to doing that last show with you, Mike. And uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure to rate, review the podcast on iTunes. Follow Mike on Twitter at Two Hats One Mike. I'm on Twitter at Packerain. We'll see you next week.